Welcome in to the Paul Kuharski Podcast. I'm Paul Kuharski from paulkuharski.com. I have met the quota, mentioned my name three times, and away we go. Uh, a lot to catch up on from my perspective as I've been absent for a little while. Appreciate your patience with that regard. Happy to uh, be broadcasting for the first time under the umbrella of 440 Sports which does a great job with local sports podcasts out of Nashville. Listen, I've been looking for a new platform. Uh, I, I need more than I can do on my own on the technical side, and 440 and Braden Gall can give me that, even though the guy obsessed about a shirt that I wore uh, in my headshots and refused to say my name after he was on my old radio station because the overlords... Uh, dictated too much to him and he didn't have a mind of his own. But he is good at doing uh, what he's going to be doing with me here in a good partnership and so I'm pleased to partner with them. I had an offer to join a national network of NFL people Um, but really what I want is, is to be bigger locally and to serve the people uh, who are members of paulkuharski.com and people who should be members of paulkuharski.com. So I hope um, those of you who aren't will uh, take the opportunity to walk through this door with the rest of us. That said, let's get on to business here. Uh, I want to talk about the coaches who've been fired by Mike Vrabel because I think there's a different story to be told with each one of these guys. And we'll start with Todd Downing, and his story is the easiest one of these. The guy was not adaptable. He did not have the talent that you need to be an effective coordinator in the league, but he also did not show us the glimmers that you want to see from a coach or a coordinator who doesn't have the talent. There were not enough moments where you said, "Ah, I could see here that if he had better personnel, he could really do some things. And you'd like to have had a check mark or two in every game or some moments every month where you could say, you know what, if Todd Downing had better players here, if Todd Downing had a better variety, if John Robinson had done a better job of stocking depth, if Des Fitzpatrick and, and uh, Isaiah Wilson weren't huge draft busts, Darrington Evans, and he had more to work with, he could do more here. And I just don't think that Todd Downing, and I know virtually everyone agrees, gave the Titans enough um, to, to work with in, in the, those regards. But it, it, he didn't do enough. Look, r- run, run, pass, punt became a mantra of fans, and it was not unfair. Fans are often unfair in asking for firings of guys. That was not the case here. There was no rhythm to this offense. Second halves, the team scored 57 points in the third quarter, 37 points in the fourth quarter. I think Mike Vrabel said they never went and won a game with the ball in their hands at the end, even though they had chances. 2.2 points per fourth quarter. 5.5 points in the second half. They didn't average a field goal in the fourth quarter. They didn't average a touchdown in the second half. Some of that is a thorough lack of adjustments by the offensive coordinator. He didn't have any answers for what defenses were doing to the Titans. And certainly part of that was the personnel that he did not have. But he had more room to figure out things than he did, and he simply didn't do it. Repeatedly, he said... 
They had stuff for Chig Aconquo. They had stuff for Traylon Burks when he was available. And they kept not showing us the stuff. Yeah, they used them more gradually as, as time went on, but that was too slow of a process. And look, other teams, I've said this time and time again, find ways to put guys who might not be all the way there, who might have a limiting under, limited understanding of their offense, they find a way to put them on the field with that limited understanding and get production out of them. Run these three routes. Do these four things. And, and we'll find ways to, to get production out of you, even with your limited capacity and limited understanding. And with these Titans, that simply was not in the realm of possibility for some reason. And that's part of what cost uh, Todd Downing his job. I will say, in his defense, there were no Terrence Mitchells coming through the offensive side of the ball. There were no Andrew Adams. There were no Terrell Bashams. There were no Mario Edwards. And on the defensive side of the ball, and I wrote about this during the season, they perpetually found guys like that who plugged and played and helped, and they did not find them on offense. Left tackle was Dennis Daly's and Dennis Daly's alone, and it was ridiculous that they didn't find alternatives. Dylan Radins, they determined, was a guard. I was told he was every bit as bad as Dennis Daly, and that's fine. I heard that they were turned away by some practice squad guys that they wanted to sign, who ultimately signed with their own team or decided that the plan that was in place for them with their current team was a better alternative than coming and being a guy who was, you know, going to be attacked on every snap like Dennis Daly was. And, you know, that could be the case. But the team did not do a good job of getting Todd Downing or Keith Carter or, you know, any of the position coaches better alternatives to what they had on offense. The way that they did find better alternatives for them on defense and quite frankly Mike Vrabel and Shane Bowen and the defensive coaches were better at using those guys so um, Matt LaFleur was a John Robinson idea and and when Mike Vrabel didn't get maybe some of his top choices like Ryan Day as offensive coordinator he hired LaFleur LaFleur was not great but he did well enough to, to get the Green Bay head coaching job and yeah he inherited talent but we've seen that he's a very good coach clearly made a good coaching decision on Arthur Smith, promoting him from his staff. It only took him two years to get the head coaching job in Atlanta. Todd Downing was hired to be the next guy in line, and that was a fail. All right. Now the in-house option is Tim Kelly. His title said he was passing game coordinator. Passing game sucked. wasn't well coordinated. What we saw looked like an assistant tight ends coach. Uh, tight ends did all right. They got better as the season went on. Um, but I would hope that they go far better than Tim Kelly. Uh, and we'll talk a little bit more about offensive coordinators in, in, in a bit. Um, we really have zero idea what Tim Kelly did. But his team needs more. Let's get on to some of the other fired coaches. Um, Keith Carter, listen. I know a lot of you are rejoicing at the firing of Keith Carter. In 2018, his first year, Marcus Mariota was sacked 42 times. There was still a lot of Deion Lewis getting carries, and the line was Taylor Lewan, Quentin Spain, Ben Jones, Josh Klein, and nine games of uh, Jack Conklin, with uh, Dennis Kelly replacing him for the rest. 
the team ran for a little bit over 2,000 yards as a team. It was a bad line. The guards were awful. Quentin Spain had some moments, but he was not a good left guard. Josh Klein was a terrible right guard. Conklin hurt. Kelly did all right. Everybody wanted Keith Carter fired that year. Everybody hated Keith Carter. Well, two years later, Keith Carter's line was down to 24 sacks of Ryan Tannehill, and Henry ran for 2,027 yards. And that was behind Lawan, Sambrilo, and Quesenberry as left tackle, Saffold as left guard, Ben Jones, Nate Davis, and Dennis Kelly. The team ran for 2,690 yards. That's, that's uh, with uh, Derrick Henry topping 2,000 yards. 667 more yards than two years prior. And everybody liked Keith Carter. Keith Carter was a pretty good offensive line coach. There's an example. He didn't have good players the first year that I list here. And he had very good players uh, the second year. And, and people admitted, hey, Maybe we were too hard on Keith Carter. Keith Carter turned into a pretty good coach. We saw the same thing with Shane Bowen over time. He had terrible players in 2020. He had really good players in 2021 and 2022. So I think the Keith Carter firing was not about what he failed to do with the shitty offensive line this last season. Look, Mike Munchak himself, could only have done so much with Dennis Kelly, who's a terrible football player. The team overvalued Aaron Brewer and what Aaron Brewer could do. And quite frankly, Nicholas Petit-Frere got off the hook this year because he was the third worst offensive lineman. And in another season, he would have been the worst offensive lineman and we would have been talking about him. Keith Carter didn't have a lot to work with. It wasn't unlike or his worst than 2018, which we're talking about here. I think Keith Carter gets fired more because this team is about to undergo a major transformation. Big car alarm going off here at the pharmacy uh, where I'm broadcasting uh, because 440 does some of their work here. Um, Keith Carter to me gets fired going forward because this team is going to have three or even four new offensive linemen next year. You're going to have a new starting left tackle. I think you gotta have a new starting left guard. Aaron Brewer could start at center if Ben Jones retires, which is the expectation. I think they're down on Nate Davis, who could get big money as a free agent from a team that thinks they're a guard away. Petit Frere's in place at, at right tackle. A lot of change there. And I think maybe Mike Vrabel's thinking to himself, with all of that turnover on the line, with us maybe turning into a bit more of a passing team where our guys are all run blockers, is this the coach that I want to bring all of those guys along or do I need to make a change in sync with my offensive coordinator? And I think the new offensive coordinator could have a hand in hiring a new offensive line coach where they fit together. So I think Keith Carter's gone largely for that reason. Anthony Midget. Anthony Midget is the cornerback coach. The first Houston-connected guy who's fired, if I'm not mistaken. And, and Carter and Midget are really big exceptions here. Tyrone McKenzie was fired as the inside linebacker coach in 2020. 
His replacement, Jim Haslett, was fired as the inside linebacker coach in 2022. Defensive backs coach Kerry Combs left in 2020 to become co-defensive coordinator at Ohio State, which did not go well. As far as position coaches go, outside of two promoted tight end coaches, that's it. So here are two position coaches sent out, very rare for Mike Vrabel. To me, midgets, guys, it was about what happened this year. His guys did not pick up and stick with technique. You saw Trey Avery have some good games, a guy that you wouldn't have wanted, but they had to go deep at corner. And you saw Trey Avery have some good moments, and he was unable to sustain them. And to me, the biggest example here is Roger McCreary, who Vrabel clearly liked, who Robinson clearly liked, who they spent a big pick on, a second-round pick, Auburn guy, Short arms didn't fit the bill on some measurables, but who they thought was a really good football player. And he had some really good moments, but consistently his technique failed him, particularly this refusal to turn his damn head when the ball is arriving and get called for penalties or get burned by receivers making catches, even though he's in relatively good position. Well, you know, it's on Roger McCreary not turning his head, but clearly, clearly, Anthony Midget was unable to get it through to this guy that he's got to turn his head. And these are basic technique things that were not showing up in the Titans secondary that I think you could say the position coach is not getting through to his guys. And if the position coach is not getting through to his guys who are not doing as they're coached, and you're convinced the players are good, You've convinced the players have the skills, which I think the Titans are, certainly in the circumstance of McCreary, but the, and to a lesser extent with somebody like Avery, I think that led to the change with uh, Anthony Midget. One guy who was not fired, who becomes a question every year, is Craig Aukerman. I think Craig Aukerman is a variable pet. I've said this over and over. He's beloved by the head coach for some reason. But I do think he survives in large part because he had different cast of characters every week. He did take more accountability this year, which was my number one thing with Craig Aukerman. You probably heard me hounding him at some press conferences because he found excuses everywhere. The practice, they didn't have enough practice. The officials didn't give him the right signal. The guys didn't execute what he told them. It, it, it took a, almost a full season before Craig Aukerman said, I didn't do something. To me, he's the least accountable coach I can remember with the Titans since Jerry Gray, and that is going back a ways. But he was more accountable than he's been in the past. I'll give him that. Titans lost a game because they hit a defenseless snapper with time on the clock down four points against Cincinnati, giving Cincinnati, taking a field goal off the board, but giving Cincinnati possession to kneel out the clock. Titans would have got the ball back and had a chance to go down and score a tying touchdown or, or perhaps a tying touchdown and a winning two-point conversion. That's a massive special teams gaffe on the only thing that officials are looking for on that field goal. End of clock confusion at Indianapolis uh, at the end of the half, which was a huge gap. 
They were determined for some reason to get Randy Bullock to the right hash mark instead of getting him additional yards for a field goal at the end of the Giants game. And they missed the field goal and lost. Kyle Phillips, who looked like a good punt returner when he was healthy enough to return punts, couldn't catch punts, muffed punts. They were 19th in kick returns, 22nd in punt returns, 28th in punt returns against. They were fourth in kick, kick return average against. Three out of four categories, 19th or worse. It just seems to me a, a, a surrender on having any kind of impact in those departments at all. But Ackerman, largely untouchable. Now that's a personnel thing. And, you know, they constantly are giving him guys, giving him guys, giving him guys. Now Ola Adeni went from being a special teams ace to being an expendable. Uh, because they had so many other special teams guys. So, yeah, he had a constantly revolving cast of characters, but Josh Thompson was brought in to give him another special teams ace. These guys who were passing through special teams were all special teamers. They ended up playing on defense because they were needed on defense, but all of them had special teams routes. I'm a little puzzled by, by Ackerman's sustainability. Ryan Stonehouse was a bright spot, okay? But people are a little too excited about his record. 53.1 yard average is fantastic, right? I'm not going to take away from it, but I'm going to tell you what it means. He broke Sammy Ball's 70-year-old record, right? 1940, he set the record of 51.4. But your gross punting average is, is not important. <laughs> I could kick the ball a mile, but what matters is where does the drive start? And his 44-yard net is what matters. And his 44-yard net was 17th all-time, which is impressive. And it's only two yards less than Johnny Hecker's record from 2016 for the Rams. So it's a very impressive season, absolutely. But, you know, I used to work for a place that called outkick the coverage, and that's a saying for the reason. And he outkicked the coverage sometimes with that 53.1-yard gross average. 30 of his 87 punts were inside the 20. That's 34%. Brett Kern in 2021 punted way less, and he put 38% of his punts inside the 20. So let's not go too, too crazy over Ryan Stonehouse, who is an excellent punter, but has room to be better. Um, and I'm more concerned with the net. So let's get the net up. Let's not worry about the, the distance. Distance isn't that important. The starting field position is important. Premature questions. So I know this was big from what I saw on Twitter on Nashville Sports Talk Radio on Monday because somebody mentioned that Tom Brady was a potential destination for the Titans. I want to talk about a premature question. They don't have a general manager or an offensive coordinator, <clears throat> but we're going to give them a quarterback. First off, Ryan Tannehill, even if he's gone, we talk a lot about the $18 million that he'll save them if he's gone, but he still costs them $17 million. So if you're doing a deal for Tom Brady or Aaron Rodgers or Derek Carr or any veteran quarterback, and clearly Brady and Rodgers would be a different level of expensive. You're stacking that first year salary, first year cap number, on top of $17 million already on the books for Ryan Tannehill. 
So the Ryan Tannehill cut, if that were to happen, works well if you're going with a cheap quarterback, a bridge guy who plays for, you know, a relatively low salary or a rookie or a guy on his first contract, and you can really do some rebuilding. If you're bringing in a Brady at at 2023 quarterback cap number is going to be big. It's going to be big, and you're going to have to, even if you're talking about one or two years with that guy, you're going to have to spread that money into the future, and it's going to hurt you like Tannehill's number is hurting you now where there's going to be the equivalent percentage-wise of 17 left, and it's going to be 25 or 30 against the cap in 2025, say. So you're kicking the can down the road, as the saying goes, and it's going to hurt you. Got to be conscious of that. Is that what you want down the road? Well, you know who's going to have a say in that? New GM is going to have a say in that in terms of what he wants to do financially. I know it's Vrabel's guy, but Vrabel's got to determine it. Tom Brady would have to determine how much he wants to hand off to Derrick Henry, how confident he is that the new coordinator and uh, and new offensive line coach and Vrabel and the new GM could get an offensive line together that's going to keep him upright and could find some wide receivers for him to throw to. Tom Brady's not going to be excited about Nick Westbrook Aquino. He's not. He can't be. And he can make him better, but he can't make him better than the three because the guy at the top of his game is a three, and he's only a three if he's got two good ones ahead of him. Right now they have one good one ahead of him in Burks, who hasn't proven he could stay healthy and who's still learning the NFL game. A lot, a lot of unanswered questions there with regard to, to the potential for this to be a Tom Brady destination. And I'm saying this before I know if Tom Brady is playing next weekend or not. It's time for me to introduce you to uh, the sponsor of this fine podcast. Not only are we under a new umbrella, but we have a sponsor and I want you to get to know him. Paul Kaharski podcast is now sponsored by Jonathan Jeans of Farm Bureau Insurance in Nolensville. If you are looking for home, life, or auto insurance, you should call Jonathan. And if you are not looking for home, life, or auto insurance, you should call Jonathan. He could save you some serious money compared to the rates that you are paying right now. And he's a good man with a big interest in your favorite football team and in what should be your favorite podcast. So what I ask is that you give him a call. His number is 615-776-1544. 615-776-1544. I can't encourage you enough to check him out. I'll also have links Um, in the posts that send you to these podcasts where you could click right to his site, punch in some information and get in contact with him. Can't thank him enough for coming on board as a sponsor of this podcast. Jonathan Jeans, um, your guy for all your insurance concerns. Fresh blood is what this team needs. That's why I I, I like Monty Awesomefort as a candidate. Ryan Cowan, not so much. Austin Fort had more experience with, uh, with New England. But Ryan Cowden 
outside of the 2016 draft had been here for virtually everything. Not virtually, he's been here for everything that John Robinson did. If Ryan Cowden was objecting to things that John Robinson did, I'm pretty confident that John Robinson would have got rid of him. Because I'm pretty confident that John Robinson liked in his scouting staff guys who agreed with him. He's got a scouting staff of virtually all younger guys. And I don't get the sense that they're, <clears throat> he welcomed a lot of pushback. Buck stopped with him. He took the feedback from his people, but ultimately he made the decisions. That's as it should be. But I never got the sense that he wanted from his staff a lot of uh, mavericks. And I never got the sense, and maybe I'm wrong, maybe Ryan Cowden was against him on Isaiah Wilson. Maybe Ryan Cowden was against him on Darrington Evans. Maybe Ryan Cowden was against him on Des Fitzpatrick. Maybe Ryan pa Cowden said uh, there's no way that Vic Beasley is a good guy for this team and that, that you're really overestimating what you could get from Jadavian Clown. Do we think that Ryan Cowden was saying those things? I don't. Here's an opportunity for fresh blood, new vision, outside ideas. The Titans need outside ideas. They need a general manager who's got a fresh eyes on how to scout and draft offensive linemen, how to view wide receivers, and maybe consider guys who aren't big. But how about a smaller, quicker guy? Are we determined as a franchise that a smaller, quicker guy can't function with the Tennessee Titans? What's the basis for that? Let's explore that instead of going forward with that as our entire philosophy. I think you got to have outside people. I think you got to have outside person, and it's a good sign. Charles London's a former Titan assistant, and he worked with Mike Vrabel in Houston. I'm less excited about that. I'm more excited, as I know many of you are, about the idea of Eric Bieniemy or Matt Nagy, who've worked in a high-flying offense in Kansas City and understand they can't just bring that here because Patrick Mahomes doesn't work here in Nashville. But they've been exposed to all kinds of different things that the Titans have not done. Could they help transition this to something more than it's been, something different? Can they bring new ideas? Sure. Is it still going to be a Derrick Henry-centered offense, at least in 2023? But these guys and others whose names we haven't heard yet from outside with a pedigree, look, them over Tim Kelly, uh, some of these GM candidates from outside over um, Ryan Cowden, I think you've got to make those moves. Either one of these candidates from Kansas City signaled change. They're coming from a different offense. And, and while Vrabel's emphasized that he's got a foundational thing with the running backs, and we've seen, you know, similar offense from LaFleur to Smith to Downing with the similar foundational principles, doesn't mean there's not room for a new guy coming from somewhere else who gets the reins of this offense to add new stuff and to get it ready to move into the 21st century, especially once Derrick Henry winds down and can't be the central focal point of the offense. Got to be a transition to a more modern offensive mindset here. Look at how the 49ers got people, schemed people open with Brock Purdy. Brock Purdy, Mr. Irrelevant, the last pick of the draft. Look how they schemed him open. 
players in a playoff game. And look how they're right now. Rank is the best team in football, the hottest team in football. Give me some of that. New eyes, new ideas, a new, more welcoming approach to analytics. That maybe, you know, some tug of war with Vrabel, healthy tug of war with Vrabel over some of those ideas. You can certainly employ them. If you're not going to employ them in game strategy, where Vrabel does pretty well on his own, you can employ them in player acquisition strategy. You can employ them in, in injury prevention strategy. All of that can be incredibly helpful, healthy for the Titans. Don't, uh, here, another thing on the GM front. This accelerator program that the league started two years ago, where minority candidates have been invited to owners meetings for a reception. It's the occasion where they've gotten to meet owners in a kind of informal setting where owners would never have, have, have met them this way outside of an interview for, um, for, for a position before. And so Amy Adams Strunk has surely met Rand Carthen, Glenn Cook, Ian Cunningham, and Quentin Harris in these settings before. And they're all on this initial list of eight, six outsiders plus Cowden and, um, and Austin Ford. I think there's tremendous value in that, and, uh, and we should put those things um, top of mind here. Those guys probably have a little bit of a leg up in terms of the outsider. I really like Adam Peters, who's not a minority candidate from San Francisco. Ian Cunningham, who a lot of people are being too dismissive of because they look at him and say, oh, he's from the Bears. And the Bears have the number one pick in the draft. Well, he's been with the Bears for a year. He's with the Eagles. The Eagles have a great roster, obviously. And Rand Carthon. I like the two guys from the 49ers and the guy who is with the Eagles and has been with the Bears. Those are the three guys I'm most curious about. I was thinking, um, as I watched the wild card games, um, haven't gotten to uh, Cowboys-Bucks yet. I'm recording Monday. But I wonder if you might have seen the same thing I saw in the Giants win over the Vikings and thought the same thing I did. New York got eight catches for 105 yards and a score from Isaiah Hodge, Hodgkins. No. Hodgins. Hodgins. This is how unknown the guy is. I'm learning his name. I mentioned earlier how the Titans didn't find plug-and-play guys on offense the way they did on defense. He's the kind of guy, Peter King outlined this guy in his uh, Football Morning in America on Monday. 6'4", um, played at, lost my spot here in my notes, played at Oregon or Oregon State? Played at Oregon State, 6'4". He's drafted by the Bills in the sixth round in 2020. And when he went on waivers on November 3rd, the, the Giants were the only team to claim him. Giants operated on the cheap this year because they're in salary cap hell. And so Brian Dayball and uh, his general manager, both with ties to Buffalo, were familiar with the guy. And they, they grabbed him on waivers. Nobody else did. Now, the Titans like 6'4 receivers. They like big receivers. Either they do or they know that Tannehill does, and so they don't go small. I don't know what kind of blocker the guy is, but he just helped the Giants win a playoff game. The Titans absolutely stagnant at receiving, churning really bad guys at the bottom of their roster. And they couldn't take a flyer on this guy. Now, look, you're not going to hit on everybody, but 
uh, it should have been claiming and churning. Left tackles, wide receivers, trouble spots on the offense the way that they did on defense. And here's a guy, looks like he's got a future with the Giants, uh, who's made a real contribution for New York as they go into the divisional round of the playoffs. This guy could have a role if they're going to pull an upset of Philadelphia, which is not impossible. And he was there for the taking for the Titans with a waiver claim on November 3rd. Uh, and they might have ranked ahead of the Giants at that stage. I'd have to look back at the standings. His, uh, his big scouting description was that he caught a lot of contested balls. Titans throw a lot of contested balls, and they should, um, because the receivers don't get separation. This guy probably doesn't either. Where were the Titans on this guy? Injury front, I'm going to write a lot about this. I thought what Rabel said at the end of season press conference about do you want to be a blister or do you want to be a callus was very good. The quote, do you want to be a blister or do you want to be a callus? Do you want to keep working through every day and get your volume up so that you can withstand the volume and the rigors of the season? That would be a callus. Or do you want to be a blister and feel some discomfort, pull back, wait until you feel good, then come back, do it for a couple of days, and you're going to keep feeling that way. Look, they got injury issues that they've got to solve on every level, but some of it is the players. And he's got some callous guys, but he's also got some blister guys. And he called out two of them, Christian Fulton and David Long. And that's a problem because Christian Fulton and David Long are guys the Titans need to count on. David Long's in a contract here. He's cost himself a lot of money, and maybe he'll be back because he's missed 11 games the last two seasons with hamstring injuries. How much value does he have to other teams around the league? Maybe they think they can fix him. He's not going to be super expensive. Maybe the Titans could get him back, but maybe the Titans don't want him back because he's unreliable. But the fact of the matter is they don't have anybody nearly as good as him. And don't talk to me about Gibbons. Don't talk to me about Dylan Cole. Those are good third and fourth guys, but they can't run and cover. They're good coming forward and defending the run. Can Monty Rice run and cover? I don't think they have a run and cover inside linebacker. So that put that down as a need if you can't re-sign David Long. And can you re-sign David Long for anything but dirt cheap? And even if you re-sign him for dirt cheap, you got to go get somebody that you can count on who's going to be healthy. Christian Fulton should be this team's one dependable cornerback. But you can match up with a good receiver. They don't really play matchup, but you can count on his side being pretty taken care of. Last two seasons, he's missed eight games. Five with a hamstring, three with a groin injury. Your best guy's got to be out there. And Vrabel pointed out, Kevin Byard, who's been around since what, 2016, has never had a hamstring injury. So these guys can train. Vrabel said they have to figure out a way to train. The game's played at a high speed. Kevin Byard's not pulled a hamstring since we've been here. He knocked on wood. There's a durability factor to playing professional football that we should not overlook. That is real. There are guys that are durable and there are guys that are not. This team with the new GM has to steer clear of guys, I'm not joking around, who have had a hangnail. Draft healthy, clean guys. You gotta overcompensate now because the old guy undercompensated, took guys with injury histories, took guys who are injury prone. The Titans are thin. They can't count on their best inside linebacker. They don't know if you can resign them. They can't count on their best cornerback. 
It's a huge problem. Do these guys figure it out? Do they figure out how to train? Or is it too late? Can they figure it out or are they just prone to it? I fear the answer is B. If you're just prone to it, well, Titans can't have that anymore. They need reliability. They need to flip this tide. You need to draft healthy. They need to sign healthy. Even guys coming off ACL injuries. Can't bring them in and endure the year of recovery like they did with Robert Woods, like they did with Bud Dupree. It's too long a wait. They need impact right away, the high-level impact from, from guys that they pay good money to from the outside right away. It's too patient, too patient with stuff like this. Want to mention again, Jonathan Jeans of Farm Bureau Insurance in Nolensville. 615-776-1544. 615-776-1544. And just a personal word um, before I, I wrap up. Um, my dad passed away on January 5th. I missed the Titans game at Jacksonville. I missed Vrabel's wrap-up press conference. Um, to be at his funeral and his burial and with my family. And I, I don't mean to get into a long thing about that. I just want to say, I, I posted something on Facebook to explain where I was and why I'd be away. Um, and your response was just uh, over, overwhelming. And uh, I want you to know I read every, every comment that, that you put on Facebook and every text that somebody managed to reach out and send. And uh, I'm, it's the first of my parents, uh, thank, thank goodness, but, um, you know, a lot of people told me you, you have no idea what it's going to be like, and, and I certainly didn't, and uh, still a lot of grieving to do, but I read everything you wrote, and it meant a great deal, it really buoyed me and, and helped me uh, get through what I've gotten through so far, and uh, from the bottom of my heart, I wanted to say thanks, and I know my dad would want me to tell you, don't block the box but be sure to lock your locks. I'll see you next time. Look for me uh, at paulkowarski.com. If you're not a member, $5.99 a month is a steal. You can get 12 months for the price of 11. Come on board, be part of what we got going on.